You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, trade and technology, politics, security, and a lot more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Well, welcome to everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Zeitgeist. Uh, let me say uh, good morning here on December 18th to Eric Langenbacher. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Jeff. And to uh, Klaus-Dieter Frankenberger, uh, who is joining us from the lovely city of Darmstadt, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Good morning. Okay. Yes. Well, um, this is a bit of a uh, recap of 2023 and maybe a glimpse of what we can look forward to in 2024. So what we're going to try to do today is sum up what have been some of the most important developments uh, in German uh, politics and foreign policy uh, over the past year. And uh, we won't be able to cover everything. So, um, you know, uh, people are welcome to write in and let us know the things they think we might have missed. Um, but we're going to focus on three uh, areas, uh, the political balance, electoral politics in Germany, foreign policy, and the status of the government uh, led by Chancellor Olaf Scholz. And then at the end, we'll have a lightning round where people can throw a few other things into the mix. But maybe let's uh, let's get started. Um, if we look at uh, the situation now compared to January 2023, the thing that strikes me the most is the way that um, the the support for the governing parties has declined uh, and the support for the center right and also the far right um, has has increased. Um, you know, the AFD is up eight percentage points since January. CDU is also up five. Um, so that's a pretty big shift. Is this normal fluctuation in the public sentiment over the course of a four-year legislative term where we've just reached the midpoint? Or is something else happening here? Um, uh, Eric and Klaus, I'll let you I'll let you guys fight it out for who speaks first and second. Go ahead, Eric. All right. Well, thank you very much, Klaus. Um, I think we're in an extraordinary situation right now. I mean, if you look at the polls and the combined support, this is according to the Sonntagsfrage, as it's called, if there were a Bundestag election on Sunday. I mean, they're combined, the governing parties have, what, 33, 35%. I mean, they're nowhere near um, a majority, which of course they had when they were inaugurated. And I personally am trying to think back to when we were midterm in previous administrations, but I can't recall uh, governing parties ever being so low combined in the pool. So I, I do think this is not just a normal situation. I think that this is, you know, really kind of like an, a his, historic bad performance and lack of support on on behalf of the governing parties. So those would be my initial thoughts. Well, I absolutely agree. This is not normal. Our 2023 was a disaster for the government. Policy-wise, politics-wise, our, our communication with with the public and large everything was bad went from bad to worse are through the year and as eric rightly pointed out are the the governing parties don't pull no longer pull any more 
got, don't get close to forming a majority. There are today in a very brand new poll, they polled 32% exactly the number that CDU, uh, CSU has of today are a lot of things come together. As I said, bad politics, bad policy. It started relatively okay, but then they had this ill-advised issue with the heating installation, uh, which the, then the constitutional and constitutional court called uh, called off because of bad parliamentary maneuvers. And then at the end in November, our uh, the budget thing again, our uh, uh, verdict by the constitution court. Um, uh, putting the axe to the, the basis for governing. Or not just the parties fare badly. Schultz is almost the worst chancellor in history, given his poll numbers. Uh, the public sees him as indecisive, weak, not forceful enough. So, yes, this is not normal. Or this is about to, to stay, in my judgment. It would need enormous electoral fortunes and a huge uh, conviction effort on the part of the government to turn things around. I would think uh, it's going to stay here for the, for the reminder of the, the balance of the, of the term. Yeah. So we are halfway through the legislative term. The elections were in the fall of 2021, and the next election is in the fall of 2025. Um, and I want to zero in on one aspect of of this. You know, in some ways, it's uh, there's there is a normal element of this. Um, you know, a government in power uh, has uh, some struggles, and the opposition gains support as a result. But what we see uh, over the course of this year, especially. Is the AFD the the extreme right uh, party uh, is now above twenty percent in the polls, um, and so there are a couple of things going on at the same uh, simultaneously. On the one hand, you have a vastly strengthened far right uh, compared to any of their previous results um, since they've been in existence over the last ten years. At the same time, the far left is weakening, um, so. Uh, you, you is this also a shift in the extreme voter sentiment, if you want to call it that? Uh, and and what does that twenty percent plus for the AFD mean for the stability of German politics? Well, um, we should not forget that part of this this number, part of the the. The voters who now root for the the AfD, they are hard right. This is not your type, not only or exclusively your type of protest voters. You know, send them a message message uh, types of voters. Are I would say ten plus something. These are hard right voters, and now they are out there. They are they are free to express their views. Others they have migrated from the hard left to the hard right. Because there's always a connection, you know, the extremes meet somewhere, like in a big U, are mm. are they called the the left autocrats, the left authoritarians, or the SPD, Social Democrats lose, or to the AfD, the Christian Democrats lose somewhat to the AfD, though they are raking in two groups: hard right and protest vote. Uh, the protest vote is clearly directed against what, as they see it, and I th think this is not 
are um, a wrong perception, imparts incompetence, imparts the philo philosophical and political divisions in the government are all too clear and all too open. And it all now comes to the fore or with this budget or disaster, this budget episode. Or uh, one can explain to our listeners what this episode is all about. But in a nutshell, the government has too little money to, to pay the bills and to finance the big infrastructure and our economic transformation products it has outlined. And by the way, also the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Eric. Well, I mean, I would say a couple of things about the, the rise of the AFD, and then I have a question for Klaus, actually. Um, so, yes, many people are concerned that the AFD is polling at 20 or more than 20 percent and consistently for at least six months now. So it wasn't just a, a shot in the pan. Um, yes, there's dissatisfaction against the status quo, against the government. All that is true. I would also add that the CDU, despite its bump in the polls, does not seem to have an effective response to the reasons people are being drawn to the AFD and elsewhere. And part of that is because some of the issues that the AFD is always able to capitalize on are some of the issues that Germans are the most concerned about. So, you know, asylum seekers, for instance. Which will be here to stay, if I may just interrupt. Yeah, but I mean, I think that the government and even the CDU doesn't seem to have the reputation of knowing what to do to um, address this concern of many German voters. I think the other thing, too, is that you brought up the, the Heizungsgesetz, that heating bill, and Germans are really, you know, quite concerned. And, you know, average people that I talk to, including, you know, relatives and friends, you know, they're really worried about, you know, the price of energy and, and everything like that. And the AFD has simple, if not simplistic, responses to all these things. They like coal, for instance, right? But I think that the issues that are salient for Germans, the AFD is being able to capitalize upon. And we also shouldn't forget that they're a professional outfit these days. And they know not just how to capitalize, but how to push the issues that then resonate with, with voters. So for me, that's part of what's kind of going on. I'd also like to add that you know, I mean, sometimes we look at these national polls and they seem very abstract and hypothetical, but, you know, the AFD is doing really well in elections, even though there seems to be this east-west gradient with the AFD even more popular in the east. I mean, let's not forget that not a, a few weeks ago, they scored nearly 15% of the vote in Bavaria, and they actually were the second strongest force in Hessen, coming in just over 18%. So, I don't know. There's a lot going on, and this is going to be one of the big issues going forward. But my question for Klaus is, I can't remember too many instances in the recent past, at least, where the government has lost so badly and dramatically at the constitutional court. And as you mentioned, this government has lost now twice with this, with the um, budgetary um, loss probably being the more significant of the two. I mean, what accounts for that? Because you know, one of the nice things about the German system is that governments or other actors can ask the constitutional court for their opinion about something before it's even passed. So despite that kind of option, they still lost. And I'm just wondering what you think is going on there. Well, the first thing with the heating, with the heating our system installation was because they rushed it or rushed it, wanted to rush it through the parliament. And the court said, no, you can't do it. This is our, we don't uh, rule on the merits of the bill. We just say the parliament needs more time to debate and discuss the matter. And this was 
while the public was already up in arms about this this bill, which cost uh, allegedly cost a lot, and it uh, epitomizes a, a kind of amateurish approach that the government has to some of these th things. The much more severe uh, ruling uh, on the budget thing was first, you cannot uh, rule over unused budget authority from one fund to the another to the other i mean some in the finance ministry have said this will be the case you cannot do this and linter and i said okay let's try let's go, go do it they were let, let, sure. let me interrupt you there klaus just to explain for listeners yeah, okay. so there was a decision in november by the federal constitutional court that uh, invalidated the transfer of funds from one off-budget vehicle to another. Uh, this had been a way that the government had been trying to get around the uh, anti-deficit measures written into the Constitution um, and blew a big hole um, in the budget. So just so listeners yeah, are yeah. aware. And then Klaus, continue. Yeah, in summer, the opposition, led by Friedrich Merz, of course, they smelled blood. They saw the government weakened. They saw it, they saw it hurt. Are they thought it punished, and they wanted to capitalize on it, and that's why they went to the uh, to the court again to make this injunction, um, and it worked. Uh, it is at the heart of how you, uh, the, the, how you marry party politics with principle. You know, the FDP was strong on the on the debt break. You had it had to be suspended for a couple of years. It may be suspended again next year, but, but we may we may come to this later. But this is something taken all together a lot of people now believe the government with chancellor Charles on top is incompetent are full of divisions personality clashes policy disputes all over again and this is what it was from early on where they hardly were able they eventually were able but it was difficult to hammer out a a common agenda um, for three groups that don't have too much in common. Our tactics, strategy, ideology, philosophy. And here they are. Mm -hmm. Here they are. It's very difficult. And, and I think we also will come to this. I'm really wondering or I marvel at the fact that apart from the amateurish approach, the relationship towards the Ukraine and Russia crisis still holds. Yeah. I mean, this is still firm and a firm commitment. But the rest, uh, and, and and let me just say one word to migration. Migration has been the overriding concern of many Germans, all from since the Merkel years, 2015, 2016. This is the one issue that really the, the AfD is able to rake in. Second, a lot of Germans now, with the Greens in 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 the government again, and with uh, Habeck, the economics ministers, they know now, our well, transformation is going to come. Now it's getting serious, and a lot of people revolt to that. They don't want to have it. They revolt to it. Are so. It is no no accident that now the the government on top of its amateurish approach of its our bad bad handling its incompetence there is now a general swing back if you will a, a, a kind of backlash against all this transformation efforts against the climate 
change uh, adaptation and, and so forth. And it's really kind of difficult. And also, it's one one issue is migration. The other is climate change, where which drive a lot of voters, not all, but a lot of voters to the hot right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's going to be our transition point to the foreign policy uh, field. But before we do one last aspect that strikes me, you know, it is it is natural that an opposition party profits from uh, the troubles of of a sitting government. Um, when we look at the support for the the national opposition, the CDU CSU led by Friedrich Merz, they are at around thirty, slightly over thirty percent. And then when you look at some of the states that have had elections recently, you see the CDU doing even better than that in the mid thirties or upper thirties. Um, and so, you know, is is there is the CDU failing to capitalize on the potential, um, given this backlash, Klaus, that you talked about um, on climate policy, um, given the difficulties that have arisen, um, and in some cases, just the bad, uh, the bad tradecraft, um, uh, if you want to call it that, um, is there is there a way a sense in which the national CDU le- uh, leadership should be doing better? They've just passed a uh, uh, or concluded a new a new um what they call that program a, a, a sort of a, a platform of a, a federal policy platform which includes some much tougher language um and approaches on things like migration um is that going to play some role in turning things around how how do you see um uh, that uh, coming back into alignment if it will at all first you're right um Friedrich Merz CDU is not somewhere near the forty percent he once envisioned, or said this would he this would be his ultimate target. On the other hand, they are slightly on the uptick. They are slightly on the ascent. Are he is now way ahead of of Schultz. Schultz is really down in the doldrum somewhere. Um, so he they are making some progress, but. Friedrich Merz himself is not the most popular polit- politician in the country. He is um, not too popular. <laughs> this is an, or to put it to be friendly with women voters. Personally, I don't know anybody who's going to vote for him <laughs> amongst my family, and they're all pretty conservative. I can tell you, uh, though. There's a personality aspect, clearly. Even though he is the is the is the shoe in bad for becoming the chancellor candidate for the opposition, that's clear, to my mind. Uh, but this is why 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 the the CDU in Berlin is somewhat behind, are uh, compared to lender state elections. But eventually, if he gets thirty five or thirty six at the end, this would be good compared to last time. And almost would remember those who are old enough to the glorious days uh, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I would not be too critical. I mean, merits as a transition figure. He has is much more old federal republic to new to the new Germany, and that's what what a lot of people dislike. And he has to do again do all the do the the fantastic five thousand dollar trick. Bring in conservatives, and I mean real conservatives. Bring in the Christian Democrats, Christian Democrats, 
emphasis Christian, which means they are in favor somewhat of immigration, of asylum seekers to be let in and so forth. Then you have the liberals, close to the FDP liberals. They all have to be brought together, while a lot of people are really in this unruly transition period we are in. You know, people mm -hmm. are unruly all over the place. A lot of are uh, a lot of crises seem to test us. Habeck spoke of polycrisis, polycrisis, and this is true. A lot of people get nervous and they're looking for the answers. And what one point when you when I said and you repeated it, Jeff, are a backlash in, in terms of climate policy. Uh, probably worst for the climate issue was when these young people have glued themselves to the autobahn or to any major artery in Berlin, Frankfurt airports, this drove a lot of people up the wall and say, no, I have nothing to do with these people. You know, they seem to be sent somewhere, but not, though it discredited the cause, so to speak, didn't help the Greens. Mm -hmm. So um, let's, let's jump to foreign policy because you've kind of provided us that bridge, uh, Klaus, by talking about one area where uh, the government has successfully held the line um and and even you know uh enjoyed in to some degree the support of the main opposition and that is uh, on uh, the support to ukraine um after uh, russia's attack and the ongoing uh, all out war of russia uh on ukraine uh, you know about this time a year ago people were worrying in washington about whether europeans would be able to sustain their level of support to Ukraine. Um, and the worry was that the United States would be left holding the bag. Well, 12 months later, it looks a whole lot different. You have Washington struggling uh, to pass a supplemental uh, a budget that would provide military support for Ukraine that is about to run out. Uh, and about 60 billion is the administration's request, um, and it still hasn't moved through Congress. And you have uh, on the European side, Germany saying it will double its military support to Ukraine next year. Uh, the budget, despite all the budgetary woes of the German government, nobody is talking about cutting the defense budget. Now, you might argue it should be increasing, but whatever, that's a different thing. It is not on the chopping block. So what explains this uh, compared to the expectations people had that you know, the people might tire, there would be fatigue about the war in Ukraine. Probably, probably there is an understanding, at least among some uh, of the leading politicians are both in the government and out of the government in opposition, that what is at stake in Ukraine is much more, if I may say so, much more than the Ukraine itself. This is about us. This is about Europe. This is about the order are the future order in and for Europe. And that's why um, they're strongly, and I uh, applaud this, even though, I, of course, I, I'm critical of, of, of the speed, the tempo, the tactics of the ply, what is with still with, with withheld and so forth. But all of, uh, in general, this is a, a good commitment, a commitment that the chancellor are, says he's going to keep no matter what. And if we will have next year an emergency declared, a budgetary emergency, uh, he said, and which means then the the debt break will be loosened again. Um, it is because of 
to be able to fund our the support for Ukraine militarily and otherwise. And in particular for the SPD, are it's of course one are um, one issue where they can make good for the past sins, so to speak, are when it comes to Russia policy. Mm-hmm. Eric, they, would, they, they will not waver. I'm sure not on on the Ukraine. The Greens are in favor. FDP are strongly in favor, and most of the Social Democrats are strongly in favor of continuing the commitment to Ukraine. And he also alluded to when others may drop their assistance. You know, you may get whom he had yes. in mind. We will all, all. We will even increase ours then when it be necessary. Yeah, Eric. Well, I would just add that when you look at public opinion polling, uh, you don't really see that much weakening of support for the the government's assistance towards Ukraine or the importance of of Ukraine prevailing, whatever that that might mean. There's been a little bit of, you know, maybe softening in parts of the electorate, but um, the German electorate seems to be behind the government in this particular issue, and that's you know probably a good thing. I also think it's fascinating that you know while we talk about Ukraine. Uh, the European Union has just announced that uh, Ukraine can start the process to apply for membership. And there isn't as much support amongst the German population for that prospect, but there still is bare majority support. So I don't know, the solidarity the Germans are showing with Ukraine in various respects is still quite evident when I look at the public opinion polling, at least. Mm -hmm. Another area where Germany is providing or showing solidarity uh, with uh, an important international partner is Israel. Uh, the shock of the October 7th terrorist attack by Hamas um, has had also an enormous impact in Germany. Um, it might be a separate conversation to talk about how it's even influenced Germany's internal politics, um, which is uh, interesting, but maybe a story for another day. Um, but Germany is standing resolutely by uh, the the government uh, in Israel, uh, and it, this war has in some ways institutionalized the concept that Angela Merkel first raised a few years ago, that uh, that Germany's relationship with Israel and its defense of Israel's right to exist is raison d'etat, is Staatsraison for, uh, for Germany. Um, but there is at the same time also a backlash um, uh, happening. In some ways, you have uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrators who have uh, questioned that um, solidarity with the Israeli government, in particular, highlighting the um, the human suffering and the civilian casualties of the uh, uh, Israeli response in Gaza, um, and uh, a backlash within Germany against those expressions of support for uh, the Palestinian cause, and in some cases for Hamas. So this has really mixed things up, and and uh, my my question to both of you is. How do you expect to see the uh, German support for Israel continuing into the new year? Um, uh, more of the same or a more nuanced position where Germany starts to take a slightly more s- critical uh, view of the conduct of Israel's uh, response in Gaza? Let, let me, uh, Jeff, let me make a general remark. Someone said the other day, I think it was a former... Um, Israel Prime Minister Barak, 
who said there are two countries in the world that Israel listens to, and one is the United States and the other one is Germany. So by uh, in, in, in the case of the United States, our Biden's bear-harking tactic is that one of a superpower. Our Germany cannot bear-hark someone like Benjamin Netanyahu, but he can do what you said, you know, try to define what it what it means when it's when Germany says Staatsräson, which is a strong word. This is a strong word, or it's almost whatever it takes. Our, uh, we have not defined this in military terms other than our providing arms and ammunition, uh, but it's a very strong word. At the same time, and then this is when you this it kicks in when you say nuanced. Of course, um, Germany also a lot of Germans think when they turn on the television and see uh, the, the destruction in, in in the Gaza Strip, and they hear about our violence committed by by settlers in the West Bank, that this is not okay somehow. This is not good. Yeah. So we expect more. Our hints, indications, slight pressure, or, you know, look closer, Israel, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's government, closer to a humanitarian pauses. Are, but the, the big lines will remain. They remain unshaken. And when we had this, the first demonstrations in, in the state, mostly by, our, by hard left and... Um, Immigrant uh, immigrant communities, particularly young ones in the city like Berlin, of course they have their free speech. Are uh, they cannot support and uh, and parade or march in favor of, of Hamas? This is illegal. This is against uh, the rulings of the courts. Uh, but they can express their sympathy to the plight with the Palestinians. That's that's okay with me at least. Are uh, um, but the the German. The official line are symbolized by no other than the former than than uh, Germany's um, uh, president. Uh, uh, he is very so strong as nobody else in the country almost, and there's no reason to doubt that this will change in light of the tragedies that have unfolded and on the Palestinian sides and the destruction and the ones that we'll continue to, we will unfortunately continue to see. By the way, I note that uh, Foreign Minister Baerbock just over the weekend had an op-ed uh, co-authored with David Cameron, the UK Foreign Secretary, in which they called for a, I believe, sustainable ceasefire. Um, so you start Aren't, to see they Germany... Don't use the word, they don't use the word ceasefire. Mm -hmm, Didn't mm -hmm. this humanitarian a fighting pause, a break in the fighting? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but I believe I believe the phrase uh, the sustainable ceasefire um, uh, appears yeah. in that article. Um, I, I can I can have another look. But uh, the, 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 I think the main point is this sort of nuancing of the instinctive German solidarity with Israel um, is now starting to turn into a, a, a slight, uh, you see the evidence of some criticism um, as we've seen much earlier from the United States side. Um, Eric. Well, I was just going to add that uh, what I think is kind of fascinating here is, you know, we've talked before and certainly there's been a lot uh, um, published about how with Ukraine, the Biden administration and the Schultz government have kind of loosely tacked each other right that they 
that sometimes Germany seems to push the United States a little bit more. Sometimes the United States seems to push, push Germany a little bit more. But we see very strong parallels between how their foreign policies has, have evolved. And what's interesting is I see a parallel with uh, the Israel-Gaza conflict as well, that uh, it seems that the Biden administration, at least according to some of the most recent reporting, is trying to take a, a, a bit of a, a stronger stance towards pushing back on um, some of the tactics that the Israeli Defense Forces have been using. And maybe we'll, we will soon see the same from um, the German government. Part of me thinks that it's inevitable, right? I mean, um, as the reporting continues, as the strife continues, I think the pressure will start to mount to, you know, push back a little bit on, um, you know, some of the policies that and tactics that that Israel has been using uh, recently. I, you know, sometimes you read something that kind of that kind of hits you, especially from a German context. And I remember last week reading the article about how about 50% of all the munitions that Israel has used in Gaza are not precision guided, i.e. are dumb bombs that just blow everything up. I thought that would have much more of an impact on um, Germany. I mean, we, we were talking about, or we have been talking about collective memory here and there, but, you know, in the German population, there still is somehow a hint of the memory of the bombing of German cities during World War II, which mm -hmm. was exactly the same mm -hmm. thing. So I thought that reports like that would maybe have a little bit more resonance with the, the German public and then the German elite responding to it. But um, so far, not quite. Maybe maybe this view is silenced a little bit, but uh, you're absolutely right. There are still memories around in, in, in great number. Um, maybe this is silenced um, because we saw sin have seen since October 7th such strong or condemnation by all sorts of leading figures in the country, our politics, culture, and others, not so much culture, but you know, but the the, the leading figures also in terms of condemnation of anti-Semitism, expressions, outpouring of anti-Semitism. This is against the, the almost the German way. We don't do this anymore, period. No excuse or no legitimation. That's over history, period. And this is the broad, or how should I phrase it, the broad opinion stream that has by now dominated our view towards the events in the Middle East. No anti-Semitism, period. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so let's uh, switch back to um, a little bit of where we started, which was uh, we talked about politics in Germany. Um, and maybe to zero in on the, the government's performance, Klaus and Eric, you've both referred to some of the setbacks that the Schultz government has experienced this year, whether it was the uh, uh, the hiccup uh, and procedural uh, yellow card that they were shown by the Constitutional Court in the reform of the heating legislation, um, and uh, more recently with the uh, big hole blown in the budget, uh, which has caused the government to have to scramble and put together a new 2024 budget, which uh, the 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 outlines of which are still um, just now taking shape. Um, you know, has the government? run out of ideas for how to really carry forward the so-called modernization um, uh, coalition that uh, that they 
boldly proclaimed uh, two years ago. Is uh, And is there any scenario in which this government might splinter and fall apart? Um, you know, each of these parties would do really uh, much more poorly if they had an election today. Um, so there's plenty of reason why they wouldn't want uh, to go to the voters and uh, and they wouldn't want to uh, pull this coalition apart um, through the departure of one or more parties. But um, what is the likelihood of that now, um, given the difficulties uh, we're seeing? Well, first thing, let, again, don't forget that when you say have the or ask has the government run out of our of good ideas it's not a question of good ideas it's a question of how they approach the whole thing you have the social democrats whose keen interest is to preserve the welfare state if not expanded bürgergeld if mm. not expanded in in just in in broad terms welfare spent more broadly the greens want to are transform the economy or introduce a couple of our our um new items are on the agenda gender language gender rhetoric and stuff like this culture war by the way Friedrich Merz is also pretty strong culture warrior are let's let's not forget and then and, and the FDP says is out in favor of budget consolidation and no tax increase well this makes it pretty difficult if you have our uh if you have investment projects, including subsidies by billions and billions of Deutsch, of, of Europe, I almost had said Deutschmarks, of euros, you know, 10 billion euros for Intel and Magdeburg, subsidies, gifts, donations, you know, to make German, or to modernize the German economy and or introduce better digitalization and so forth. And the others say, no, no. Maybe yes, but more on social welfare. And the third guy says, no, just over my dead body. Okay, that's why it's so difficult. Are they willing to contemplate the jump into the abyss? I would think no. They're still holding hands. A snap election would be disastrous for all the three. All the three, of course, are probably, we call the health their the voter base 14, 15%, the Greens, the least have to worry. The, the Liberals, the FDP is already close to danger, to death zone, very close. Doesn't take much more to push it down the road of extinction. As, and the SPD will be junior, junior party. The, the CDU, I'm, I, would, I would think there are safe as we speak so far. They have survived this and they're going to continue to go into the new year but with not a major problem solved completely there is a uh, there is a potential are uh, uh, for a snap election i don't believe it but you don't can for uh, foretell any dynamic that might occur around the way occur, turn around the corner uh but this is a very difficult situation for the government and yeah. it's uh, and the the public doesn't like what it sees. I, I couldn't agree more with that, but I, I would I would push it even a little further and say that all the main parties, I guess the 
you know, non-extremist parties have an incentive to wait it out for as long as possible, at least to the regularly scheduled election. You know, talking about the CDU for a second, I mean, let's not forget that it wasn't that long ago that they went through how many leaders and turmoil, and then there was the chancellor candidate uh, selection process back in 2021, which was deeply divisive. I mean, it's only been maybe 18 months since they've had a modicum of kind of stability when it comes to leadership, and they they shouldn't rush it. You know, again, if you look at the polls, and if they had to choose a chancellor candidate right now, it probably wouldn't be Merits, right? It seems uh, that Marcus Suda from Bavaria is still the most popular overall and with, you know, CDU supporters. And um, Henrik Wust, the minister president of North Rhine-Westphalia, is also pretty popular as well. That's so, true. I would That's think true. that the CDU does not want to open up that bag of worms right now or that can of worms. And you yeah, know, worms, worms come in a can, not yeah. in a bag. <laughs> I offer you a bet, Eric, on the chancellor candidate. I'll offer you a bet. All right. All right. I'll take it. Um, uh, yeah, that's true. And you may you you may be right uh, that also the CDU has at the moment no are no idea of uh, if you're gonna should proceed with you know pushing for a kind of snap election which of making it even more difficult even harder even there's more disasters for the government are uh, to to you know come back from this crisis modus operation because I would say they're gonna win quite big and then what mm -hmm. when well, then which partner SPD Greens Greens, which they have identified as their main opponent, the enemy party in the government, you know, Hesselbos are is a little bit of an eye opener here. You know, the formation of um, a new uh, government uh, comprised of CDU and SPD. SPD being the junior partner, the very junior junior partner yeah. down down the line. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we are going to uh, exit uh, with with one uh, final final round. Uh, we don't have time to discuss more issues, but I want to give uh, each of you the opportunity to flag either a significant issue uh, from 2023 that we haven't had a chance to discuss today, just to, so it lingers in people's minds and perhaps provides us with some thoughts about uh, future topics to discuss, or an issue that you think is going to be um, most prominent on the agenda for Germany, uh, whether domestically or internationally, in the year to come. Um, Eric? I'm worried about domestic discontent, uh, especially when it comes to everything that's been going on in Israel and Gaza. Uh, various governments have, have been, you know, pretty hard at pushing back on certain protests and things like that. Obviously, pro-Hamas protests would, would be, you know, just unthinkable. But even protests that seem to show a little bit more solidarity with Palestinians, I sometimes think that the German government is not aware of how much its population has changed. And if they can't find a way to, um, I don't know, go forward, integrating all legitimate voices, I think they might have some problems on the street. So yeah. that's something I'm worried about for 2024. Klaus. This is also kind of a, a type of doing remorse for past, since past. Um, 23, if, I, if we hadn't spoken so much about the constitutional court and its two verdicts, I would say this is the main story of, of, of the past year and how it 
bring down, not bring down in terms of out of office, but really ruin the plans of the government, the two verdicts of 2023. 20, this is almost unprecedented, I, I would think, being directly so much so harmful. And in 2024, uh, I have a bad feeling how I even, uh, even though I write to our to my friends and family members uh, for Christmas and, and say, well, hopefully the next year will not be as bad and disastrous and give the, gives us a little bit more quiet time to reflect and contemplate. Uh, deep down, if I analyze the trends, it might get worse. And of course, with worst, I mean, also looking at November 5, 2024 in the United States. And if this turns from a germ perspective, sour, then, as you would or say in the United States, then something hits the fan. And this would be a disaster for Germany. This would be a disaster for Europe. It would not just be, it would be a tremendous disaster for Ukraine. It would be a disaster for all of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people have started to really, really worry about. All right. Well, that sets the table for uh, future conversations uh, and and programs and events here at the American German Institute, uh, whether that is this podcast in the year to come or other, uh, other outlets and publications. So we look forward to having all of you with us uh, for future episodes of the Zeitgeist. And uh, we wish everyone uh, the best at the end of the year and a good start to 2024. Thanks so much, Klaus and Eric. Thank you. And all the best. Happy holidays to you, Jeff, uh, Klaus, and everyone listening. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. You may know us under our old name, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. Send us your feedback by email at info at AICGS.org or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we have new handles at A-M-G-E-R-I-N-S-T. And also please visit our website at AmericanGerman.Institute, formerly AICGS, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Thanks.